Hi, good evening, everyone. And we're sorry for the delay to tonight's episode. We were hoping to have Jane Anderson with us tonight, who is the 2021 uh, Mental Health Nurse of the Year Award awarded by the British Journal of Nursing. Uh, unfortunately, we're having problems getting Jane's Wi-Fi to work with the uh, Zoom tonight. So, oh no, Nikki, it's me and you. What do you think we're going to do next? <laughs> I think we're just going to have a quick catch up and a chat with people. And then we'll reschedule Jane for hopefully a next week or maybe later on and actually just um, broadcast it when we can get her back. Um, I think everybody has become more than understanding about various internet providers and the, the challenges, the crisis opportunities that they offer us. And I think it would be just really nice for us to catch up um, and say hello to anybody who's been able to tune in and watch tonight. Obviously, as ever, if you want to uh, ask any questions, just chat to us on uh, Twitter or Facebook. That's absolutely fine. But otherwise, I think it would be quite useful to maybe have a catch up with Dave um, and see what he's been doing in terms of union activities and um, particularly in terms um, of being a vaccinator. So if that's all right, we'll <laughs> just do that. So what's been going on in the world right. of mental health? Tell us, Dave. Oh. Golly gosh, so uh, it's been busy, hasn't it, Nikki? And I think uh, yeah. there's been a few really big things that have happened over the last week. Uh, I think one of the things that we've had conversations with uh, in our national committee is around the, uh, the Sewell report that came out uh, last week. Uh, and that was obviously looking at the situation around Black and Asian and ethnic minority population and their kind of experience mm -hmm. of the UK. Uh, I know in terms of mental health, uh, you know, there's an absolute stark kind of situation for people. Uh, and, you know, we do have institutionalised racism in this country. I, I, I don't think there should be any doubt about that. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, this new commission report kind of argues that that's not the case. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the benefits of this report, if you can drag any benefits out of it, is the fact that there's been widespread sort of a criticism of that uh, and I just wanted to highlight the stuff that the Centre for Mental Health said uh, because they came out with a really good kind of strong statement about that yeah. and and you know kudos to Sarah Hughes and Andy Bell uh, mm -hmm. who both you know said lots of really strong things about that report uh so so i think that's that's been one of the things have you got any thoughts on that yeah, I think I have. Sex oh yeah i had had thoughts yeah. on it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think some of the things that made me most proud were is the mental health community that was straight off the blocks saying don't be ridiculous don't be ridiculous and i felt really proud particularly of nursing college people like um mark radford and people like that who stood up and said this is not right this is not real because i think for me like Racism is a horrific thing, and, and all those kinds of, of prejudice and stigma are terrible. But the worst for me, I think, is the idea that you would be able to get inside someone's head and make them think that something isn't real or it's not happening. And, I, and for me, you know, this rule does say some stuff that's interesting. It does. But it's very flawed, very problematic. And what I find most disturbing and distressing about it is it makes people feel that their experiences maybe aren't real or that they can't speak up or speak out if something isn't right. And in mental health, we've always had this issue, haven't we, around power and responsibility and imbalances that we have to be so, so, so careful about. And even, I think, with people trying to do their best, we still have terrible situations in terms of particularly um, the health, well-being and treatment of young black men in, in particular. 
They're so overrepresented on CTOs. Uh, the type of um, support they get referred to is not necessarily led by their clinical need. It's it's shaped by prejudice. We also know whether that's whether people are meaning to do it or not. It's an issue, and it's an issue that you see when you back up and look at the statistics. And it's something that you know. I know that my colleagues and people who I teach and people who I care for as a nurse have this experience, and I I feel very strongly that they shouldn't be left kind of handle it by themselves because it's not their doing and it's not their fault. It's something that if you do take your code of conduct seriously about treating people with compassion and respect and making sure that everybody is treated fairly, then, you know, this is an issue which is absolutely fundamental to nursing. And I think sometimes we get all this like, well, don't talk politics, don't. But all the choices that face us in our life come from political decisions, don't they, one way or another, where you live, who you love, where you work, all that stuff is shaped by the society we create around it. And I think if we hide from things that make us uncomfortable or upset, we don't make them better. We just make them worse and harder to sort out. So, you know, I've no problem with us, you know, looking at racism, hostility, stigma, even terminology. But I think to suggest that it's not real is a real concern and a real issue for me. I don't, what do you think, Dave? Yeah, and, and and I think you know one of the things that I've been struck by listening to speak people, uh, you know, people of colour kind of respond to it is mm. the way that they felt that it's kind of reversed the progress that's been made over the yeah. last twenty years. And I know one of the comments that I've seen a few times is the bit about the uh, the McPherson report following the, the inquiry following Stephen Lawrence's uh, killing, uh, and that kind Murder. of bit about you mm. know, yeah, mm. that that you know how. The, there's been such, you know, that that it's it's done so much damage when when hopefully we were kind of point, mm. pointed in the in the right direction. I think what's mm. also really depressing about it is the way that it's kind of you know being framed in the the, the kind of the the culture war sort of yeah, argument definitely. that we're having at the moment. And I know we had uh, Natasha Devon on MHTV a few weeks ago, and and we spoke to her about that kind of current situation and. You know the the kind of the off thrown criticism of being woke, and you know how actually is is it just that you being a kind, polite human being and wanting mm. to respect other people's views rather than kind of you know stop people from being able to express them, and mm. and it's just it's it's really sad, isn't it? I, I, did I see today that Middlesex has been involved in some research that kind of sort of yeah. you know looks at, at racism yeah. in in nursing. Yeah, absolutely. So we were with lots of different initiatives, which I'm actually really proud of. So I've got a colleague, Sarah Chitongo. He's been doing a lot of work around um, the experiences of women of colour in terms of maternity care and the clear failings of, of care that that population experienced. It was really shocking, really shocking. So she's doing some amazing work around that. Um, and that's one of um, one of the sustainable development goals that's come from the RCN. They're looking at that. And that's um, really impressive. I love the fact that nurses are contributing to that type of work. Um, I, I really like the fact that, um, you know, some of the courses that we're doing, things like expansive learning, actually have a consideration of race and racism and culture and sort of like the kind of holistic experience of nurses. And I think that's really important because as we sort of blend between public health and mental health and um, one of the things that COVID has really done, hasn't it, is it's really shown us the kind of fault lines we've got in society around inequalities. You know, that 
absolutely impacts on health and well-being. And nurses need to, to say something about that. You know, I, the days when you can just be good and quiet, I, don't, I think are long gone. Um, and I, I do agree as well about this idea that, you know, there's an element of kind of bread and circuses about the kind of debate that's going on at the minute, that you have your opinion before you start writing your report or before you start listening to another person. And it never changes no matter what's said. I find that quite disturbing. And that's not not the nursing way, is it? You take your evidence, you use your empathy, use your skills, um, and then you come up with a, an answer together that helps you both move forward. And that kind of way of working, I think, it's going to be really important for society. You know, you can't just get in your corner and shout. That's that's not going to help anybody. And we can see that some of the things that are happening are really impacting people's well-being. And we do need to work together on them. So hopefully more nurses in public life will be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I saw in the Nursing Times today that I know Middlesex has contributed to is mm. the call for an end to hair racism in the NHS. Have you had yeah, any involvement absolutely. in that? Um, well, I'm I'm very fortunate to have the colleagues that I've got. Um, so Sheila Sabrani has been um, very much involved in that and Georgie Cox. Um, and for anyone who isn't aware of hair racism, it's a really interesting thing. Um, and wrong, obviously. <laughs> Just start with, it's wrong, but it's also interesting. And, and sometimes I think whether uniform requirements are written is they're written in kind of quite coded ways that disadvantage students of colour. So students who have Afro hair, students whose hair is textured with curls, um, can sometimes be discriminated against because of the way that policies are written. So from my, my mind, I'm well aware of the fact that I'm walking around with blue hair and no one has ever said to me that it's not acceptable or it's wrong or it makes me less professional as a nurse, regardless of presumably their own opinions. Um, and that's part of my privilege. But I do know that my students and colleagues have had feedback about the hair that grows in out of their heads naturally as, as being um, unacceptable or in breach of policy in some ways. And that's it's not true. It's wrong. The only reason, in my opinion, that nurses should be uh, making changes to their appearances in terms of patient care. If something is an infection control risk or if something's a problem, then it's cool for us to do what we can to put other people's well-being first. But the hair that grows out of your head is that is, is a beautiful, natural, fantastic thing. It's not for anyone else to say how it should be, as long as it's not in someone's wound, which I don't think anyone would want. <laughs> it's nobody else's business. So sometimes when you see a policy written and it's like tidy hair, um, and what they mean is straight, that's a problem, or it's interpreted in that way. So um, I think if you haven't had the experience of, of, of working closely with people of colour who haven't been able to share that with you, maybe ask them about that experience, because if you haven't had something happen to you, you can imagine that it doesn't happen, but um, it does. It's just that maybe people aren't mentioning it to you, or maybe it's just not coming up in your sort of circle of influence. But my, my feeling would be, the more that you understand what somebody else's lived experience is, the better able you are to support and help them. So if you do get a chance to read this article, we'll certainly tweet it out, won't we, Dave? When we yeah, finish yeah. the little chat, <laughs> um, <laughs> we will um, tweet that out. And I'd say have a look at it, because it might well be that you're the person who rewrites the next policy and makes sure that's not in it. Or there's somebody who's able to speak up for a, a student on their first day when they're feeling really anxious and someone makes a comment to them, which is not appropriate, which is personal. So I think... Yeah, the more that we can stand together, the better. So you yeah, can't do that and, if you don't know. And and I think that kind of links into the bit about the importance of having kind of good links with trade unions and you know the conversations about developing policy, mm -hmm. and also you know 
lots of different people being involved in trade unions in lots of different ways. So mm. we're not just kind of representing a particular section of, of, of you know, individuals in terms of when we write, you know, get involved in writing policies mm. and having as broad a, a range of people contribute to them as possible. Because mm. I suppose, you know, me sitting there as a white bloke with very little hair, you know, might not kind of think about how, you know, a policy could be discriminatory. Uh, mm. You know, we only kind of get that information from, you know, people contributing and, and kind of telling us when we're getting things wrong as well. So mm. I, I just think it, it you know, it, it, it highlights that that quite nicely, really. Mm. I, I think what will also be interesting will be to look at some of the comments on Facebook and Twitter to the Nursing Times article and kind of picking up where maybe some people are really supportive of of kind mm. of the article but you know others that are criticizing it and and, mm. and kind of getting a you know a view on that i think as well kind of you know as all as as registrants of the nurse and midwifery council remembering that we've got to uphold our code at all times and actually you know how we support our fellow uh health professionals is just as important as how mm. we kind of look after people uh who you know receive care from us so i, mm. I just think that that's really really important so you know passed on my uh congratulations to middlesex for oh, really? you know highlighting some really important issues because you know fair play it's 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 a really important thing yeah. and uh, if you're one I person think... speaks up other people don't and that's one of the things as well so when you're the first person to say something you know they will get some flack for this i'm sure but it's still the right yeah. thing to do Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's a few other stories that have been in the news over the last week that I think have been quite interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. And one of them that I tweeted about yesterday is the announcement that mental health uh, clinics are going to be created in uh, a number of places across England to support new mums uh, with, their, with their mental health. Uh, mm -hmm. I think, you know, whilst that's a, a really positive uh, new story. Uh, one of the things I picked up on is how, in other ways, uh, mums have had a lot of services cut over the last few years. Uh, and that kind of bit about it, it really sort of reminds me, you know, the story of the, the Conservative government with the police. You know, they, they cut 20, 21,000 police officers and then turn around and say, we're going to have 20,000 more and sell that as a, a good news story. Uh, mm. I think that, you know, this is an example where they're hoping to sort of open 26 clinics over the next year or so. But actually, over the same period of time, we've had, you know, huge amounts of cuts to, to services that parents get. Mm. Uh, so I, I suppose it's, you know, it's a, it's a really kind of interesting sort of, you know, juxtaposition of, of, of what's going on out there. Did you have a chance to see that story, Nikki? I did. I think it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's not my area particularly of interest but I had very similar thoughts to you about it and I think one of the things that I'm eternally grateful for my um my training as a nurse was being able to be given the skills to sort out that kind of information because I mean I can remember when I first started as a, a student nurse we were we just moved to novel antipsychotics which dates me quite a lot <laughs> and um uh, and I actually did read some of the material that was given to me about how good certain drugs were. And because I didn't understand statistics, because I didn't have really good skills around critical thinking, I just assumed that it was great. And, I, you know, I can remember actually someone saying to me, saying, what do you think I should take? And I said, yeah, well, I would. It looks great. And then once I'd learned a bit more about research, statistics, critical thinking, 
following the money, <laughs> the words Jerry Maguire, follow the money, something like that. Well, show me the money. But that idea about who's getting paid to say what and what's in someone's interests, I got a lot better at disentangling information and making slightly better choices for myself. And I think when you see that kind of news story, it can be exhausting because we're so desperate to get some good news, aren't we, at the minute, that yeah. anything seems like a, a good a good thing to hear. And, you know, where work is happening and where money is flowing, that's that's great, great. But it is important, I think, to take it with a pinch of salt and to actually follow that stuff through and find out um, really what people are getting because it is important that, that, that nurses can take information apart and actually figure out what's real and what isn't. And yeah. part of it is us being um, advocates for other people. And if we can't get, can't tell good information for ourselves, how are we going to do that? So for me, I was pleased to see, you know, some some, some recognition <laughs> that yeah. that times are extremely difficult for people who are young mums at the moment. They are so judged by everybody. And I think anyone who's been in lockdown with kids at the minute has a new, entirely new sympathy for anybody who's been in that circumstance. Um, but yeah, it bears some watching, won't it? Because it's a cycle we go round and round. I mean, think about what happened with the Shore Start centres. What a good yeah. idea. And then how they got more and more problems, less and less funding. It, it became uh, less coherent as a support strategy. So we'll, we'll watch, and, watch and see. You don't need to be too cynical about it, but I think it always bears bears a good watch, doesn't it, when, when you have a good news story like that? Yeah, and, and I think another example of that as well for today, the news of new education hubs that are going to be created. So the government seems obsessed with the word hub at the moment, uh, but the kind of education it was ours, hubs now it's and, hubs. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Are they all four-letter words? You know, it's, it's interesting. It's like it's got to be a, a, a thing with three words or four letters in the word. Uh, but interesting, you know, that Gavin Williamson's been talking about discipline today. Uh, and I think that kind of fits in with another uh, issue that we spoke about on MHTV uh, probably a good few months ago now, is mm -hmm. the thing about, and I'm going to forget what the word is, uh, trauma-informed care. Mm. And the kind of bit about, you know, one person's disciplining children is another person's understanding the trauma that children go through. And actually, over the last year, you know, again, sentiment from for mental health and others, 1001 Critical Days, the Maternal Mental Health Lines, have spoke quite a lot about the, uh, you know, the, the impact that lockdown and COVID has had on children yeah. and, and young people. And actually, you know, is it the right response to have to kind of discipline the the, the problems out of them kind of thing or to be a bit more trauma informed. I think I'm going to guess I'd, I'd know what your response would be on that, Nikki. <laughs> we struck off. <laughs> no, I, of course, I think that um, everybody has had sort of like a, a, a challenge. No one's had a good year, you know, in itself. It's been a really stressful, difficult year. And I think, it, again, it's one of those things you really see the difference between people with resources and people who are stretched. You know, so for people who've had kids and they've had access to a garden and they've had enough money to be able to order stuff off Amazon, make sure they've got Wi-Fi, make sure some people have had nannies living with them. I mean, they've had a very different experience than someone who's been on the sort of fourth floor of a tower block with unstable Wi-Fi, with, you know, not quite enough space for the kids. They've had a really different time and it's it's not really comparable even when you think about it. So, again... I think 
we are still behind the curve with trauma-informed services all over in education, in hospitals, um, in the care, and, e and even in the sort of like training of nurses. Still, we should be offering trauma-informed care as standard. And we're really far behind that. We have done an episode on it, and we? we did one um, with our Scottish colleagues on trauma-informed care, which we can actually send the links back out again. But if anybody's out there and would like to talk on on trauma-informed things, that's something that we really would like to have um, more conversations on because we're not where we need to be in terms of our practice with that. Um, there's a lot more to be said, I think, on trauma-informed working. Yeah, I suppose it's interesting because it, uh, I think one of the things for me is that it kind of feels like trauma-informed care would probably be more expensive, but the money that would be spent on doing that would easily be saved in the probably even the short and medium term, let alone the, the long term. But mm. we've got to have, you know, if it's politicians or, you know, commissioners that that kind of can make that argument or believe that argument, you know, really, really important. I think it's uh, seen as an extra. If you think about what happened with um, the, the fantastic work, which we also covered for anyone who wants to tune back in and have, have a look at sexual safety in inpatient settings. Um, the minute COVID came on the scene, and I absolutely get that that was a, a life-threatening situation, all that work got shelved. And I think while we're always seeing um, treating people with compassion and respect, whilst we're seeing dignity in services, whilst we're seeing sexual safety in services as an extra and trauma-informed care as an extra, instead of the bedrock of what we're doing, there'll always be a reason to shelve it or for it to take second place when it's fundamental and we really can't move forward without it. Yeah. I suppose to pivot away from that conversation mm -hmm. completely, uh, you asked at, at the beginning stuff that I've been involved in. Obviously, one of the things you've got to mention is NHS pay and the kind of situation that we've seen across the UK. Uh, obviously, in terms of the Unite position, we want to see uh, a 15% pay rise for NHS staff or £3,000, whichever is greater. Uh, obviously, other trade unions and professional bodies have got their own kind of uh, view on, on what the, the, the level should be. Uh, but we've seen the offer of 4% uh, up in uh, Scotland and the response from the government to the pay review body in England suggesting a 1% rise. Uh, I suppose, you know, we, we've got to wait and see, in terms of Scotland, what our members vote for, whether they're willing to accept the 4% or to mm. reject it. Mm. Uh, and then we've got to wait in England to hear back in terms of what is going to be offered from the independent pay review body and the government. Uh, I suppose, you know, some people laugh at 15% thinking that it's it's too high, but we've got to see that in terms of how NHS pay has been held back over uh, the last, uh, you know, 10 or so years. And actually, in real terms, NHS workers have come out with a, a, a greater than a 15% pay cut. So 15% is, isn't even replacing that. Uh, I suppose... What what kind of messages are you picking up today from the students that you speak to and you know colleagues around you on on the NHS pay issue? Well, I'm guessing they'd like to be paid more, Dave. <laughs> I think some of the things that I find most interesting when you look at those kind of like charts where it's like where could a nurse get a house and it's like the Hebrides or like very tip of Wales. And you're like well, this is ridiculous. You know, key key workers need to be valued because you can't have a society without them. And, and it's really interesting, isn't it? I think a lot of the kind of like narratives that you hear that have that played out over the last year 
about nurses being heroic, nurses being uh, angels. Um, you know, you don't pay heroes, you don't pay angels. They're just, you know, they they they, they will survive. Everything will be fine. When that's not the case, you know, we've seen nurses, a lot of nurses, lose their life this year unnecessarily. We've seen people leaving our profession because it's not paid or respected in the ways that actually make sense. Um, it's really nice for people to clap you and say that you're great, but it, it's better to have a living wage. It's better to be able to put food on your table and not be a student nurse or worse, a nurse in practice who's having to use a food bank. That's, that's not acceptable. You know, and I think we really do need to consider what we mean by respect. And we really, you know, do need to push back sometimes on the way that nursing is seen and the images that we perpetuate of nursing or allow to stand. You know, because if you suggest that somehow you're more than human, people don't treat you as like more than human. They assume you don't have human needs. <laughs> I think like being paid, having your mortgage met, uh, paying your food vouchers. And I think there's something to be said about how we talk about the fact that we're highly skilled, trained professionals. We're not angels, we're human beings. Um, and when your bank manager or your doctor or your any lawyer or any other profession um, go to work, they would like to be paid for the work that they do. And one of the things I think is so interesting about nursing is it's seen as um, innate, it's something that you're just born to do. Like no one is born to be badly paid and disrespected and put in danger. That's not that's not a thing. Um, nurses care passionately in the main about what they do, and they tolerate some things, maybe some things that they shouldn't, in order to do a job that is um, incredibly meaningful and something which is part of who they are as a person. And I find it very challenging when that gets taken advantage of. And I think that that's what a lot of these pay offers are. We're taking advantage of people's passion and um, goodwill. And I, you know, we look at the massive hole, particularly in um, mental health nurse recruitment. And, you know, we do get these odd good stories like, oh, recruitment's up, blah, blah, blah. But recruitment's up in a situation where more and more people are leaving. So that isn't a wholly good news story. And I think if you, if we want to, if you, if you want something uh, to happen, you have to reward it. If you want people to stay in their jobs, you have to look after them, you have to treat them well, um, and you have to be positive in a very practical way. And, I, you know, as I say, clapping's great. Being liked by the general public or trusted by the general public, that's fantastic, and it makes me feel great. Yeah. Every time you see those those um, reports that come out saying nurses are the most trusted profession, that's great. But yeah. I think you know, people don't think about whether we trust the public anymore. You know, they talk yeah. about trusting us, but... It's a two-way thing, isn't it? <laughs> I think um, if you if, if it's something that carries on being taken for granted, it won't be there forever. And that I find, yeah, it's a challenging thought. Yeah, I suppose on that point of trust, mm. uh, I always find it interesting because obviously, as a nurse, I'm the most trusted profession. And as a trade union official, I think I'm the 17th most trusted profession. So I don't know if that means that I come out somewhere in the middle or I can just claim nursing whenever I want to, you know, look a bit a bit better. I think I think the other thing that I always think is that, you know, whilst being a nurse myself, you know, thinking about other colleagues in the NHS mm -hmm. that are in the same position as nurses, but never get the kind of 
doctor, you know, politicians always say, you know, we're really grateful for, to doctors and nurses, and mm. they forget the paramedics, they forget mm. the, you know, the people who work in, uh, in on the ward as, as yeah, you know, administrators. Staff. Everybody yeah. makes this happen. It's not just one lot of people, is it? Yeah, and and it's so it's so kind of you know I think as nurses as well it's always important that we kind of vocalise that support not just to our own profession but all the professions that yeah. you know we work together so so effectively in the NHS. Yeah, uh, I think interestingly you know that kind of then links into you know a conversation maybe about vaccines, uh, yeah. and I, I'm, I'm I'm making the the segue over by you know it's interesting if it was a week or so ago. Uh, Boris Johnson arguing that the reason that we got uh, the vaccine was because of capitalism mm. and, you know, giving people lots of money. And and it's interesting how he kind of uses that for the argument for vaccines, but not in terms of pay for people who work in the NHS, for example. You know, the, the two, mm. are kind of, uh, two are kind of different. Obviously, we've had a big news story out today about the AstraZeneca jab. Uh, and obviously, you know, that kind of question mark that's been sort of brought across different countries of uh, the safety around uh, blood clots and, and the AstraZeneca jab. I suppose it's it's really good in, in one way today that there's been kind of really clear uh, stats given in terms of the, you know, the really rare risk of blood clots linked with having AstraZeneca. But I suppose one of the anxieties about that is that, you know, people might lose confidence in having the jab where we know that having it is a you know hugely important thing in terms of protecting not only us as individuals against covid but you know our communities our country uh, mm. against covid we obviously did a, a session was it last week on the uh, on the covid mm. vaccinations so you know we'd encourage people to to look back at that but mm. I suppose how and do you also kind to of check out and make sure your service users have access as well. If you're a practitioner who's watching, because anybody who has an, a serious mental illness, an SMI now is is due to get theirs, um, and so please make sure that that they have the same kind of healthcare that everybody else gets. It's really important to sort of stand up, people, remind them, encourage them, be positive about it. Yeah, and and that's a really important role. For, you know, mental health nurses, isn't it about making sure mm. that you know people can access the services that you know mm. that, that that they need, uh, and and especially like you say in terms of SMI and the work that equally well UK have done to highlight mm. the, the the greater risk that that people with an SMI have, not only mm. in terms of COVID infection but also in in any uh, physical ill health. Mm. Uh, issue so it's, it's, mm. it's a really important one into that um, one shout out to jane who who should have been with us but for terrible wi-fi and um, we will of course be tweeting out a lot of her work as well um and we'll get her back on hopefully in a couple of weeks something like that but it's really important to to note that as a she's an advanced care practitioner isn't she so this ability yeah, yeah. to work across fields for mental health nurses is really key and one of the things that she's done the reason we want to talk to her that she won this fantastic award was for work around um suicide prevention and risk with her population that she's working with. And I think that's head and neck cancer. Um, and is, yeah. that, I think, is, is just so Im impressive. So I think sometimes with mental health, we can get a bit about physical health and sort of stay in our lane a little bit. But I love the fact that she went out there and actually has made a huge, huge difference for people um, by using her mental health skills. I think that's really exciting. Yeah, and I think because I was one of the judges for the awards this year, and I think one of the things that really struck me, obviously I didn't know it was Jane's submission at the time because mm. it was all 
anonymized. But one of the things that really struck me was James was one of the the, the submissions that didn't mention COVID at all. Uh, you know, the, the nomination that she'd received. Uh, and, and obviously that that kind of, I thought that was really interesting in the year when everyone's been talking about COVID. It does mm. remind you that, you know, services have had to carry on in this really, really difficult situation. Yeah. And and I think, you know, huge credit to her and her colleagues for, for keeping that going, you know, mm. when when the world's been turned upside down. And, 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 and she's not the only person, you know, there's still be tens if not hundreds of thousands of colleagues out there that are doing exactly the same day in day out so mm. so huge kudos to them you know really really good stuff i suppose that that's maybe the last thing i wanted to sort of say about was uh you know the the work that we've been doing in terms of uh the nursing and midwifery council and there's uh they've been looking at uh the specialist practitioner qualifications uh and terms of mm. doing a, a new consultation uh there's you know plenty in there that that you know our members should sort of consider and have a look at uh so i'd, I'd kind of encourage people to have a look at that uh i, I don't we know can if you, speak you, out links for it can't we we certainly can yeah it, it, they've extended the consultation or they've made the consultation longer because of the covid uh pandemic uh mm. but it's certainly something that members uh you know may be interested to, to get involved in uh mm. so yeah I'd, I'd certainly encourage people to, to have a look at that one mm. i guess that's another thing to think about you know if you're new in practice or maybe you've got to a stage in your career where you're thinking i'm not quite sure where i'm going um it'd be a really good idea for you to keep an eye out for things like um any kind of briefings any kind of opportunities to participate in reviews you know with the mental health act review well that's still going on in some places there was one on um uh, acps a little while ago um cto sorry a little while ago um so keep your eye out for stuff like that because don't forget that all the experience that you have accrued just going to work every day is really valuable and if you're thinking you know maybe i want to make a change maybe i want to do something else maybe i want to use my voice in a different way absolutely these are things that you can do and if you're not quite sure how to do them find yourself a mentor find somebody else who's already doing it express an interest and let people know that you want to increase your skills because the more nurses are out there saying what they think about things um, even being on things like um, trustee boards even being on things like uh, teacher, uh, parent forums in schools the more nurses in public life the better public life will be because you are built in automatically good organizers ethical practitioners people have a holistic understanding of how how the world works and how people are so i would say um take these opportunities when you find them it might be that maybe um a consultation on the mental health act doesn't float your boat i get that <laughs> that could be a thing but find out what what it is where your passion is and actually use your voice and your influence there because there's loads and loads of opportunities for nurses to get involved in kind of public debate public discourse and even just you know sort of strengthening society think about how many nurses went straight to the pumps on sorting out food banks and things like that when they were needed and sort of neighborhood social stuff that pulls us all together as a community it's really really brilliant set of skills that nurses have yeah and i think that mentioning the nmc you know we, we had a brief conversation before tonight's episode that you're currently going through the three yearly cycle of revalidation oh, oh i want to end on a so positive note <laughs> Oh, the, the positive note I wanted to end on was how MHTV is such a great kind of 
thing to use for revalidation. Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, when you think about it, you know, we've got 45 episodes so far in the yeah. can on YouTube and Facebook. And, yeah. you know, you, you only have to do, you know, a few hours of, of CPD every three years. Mm. Uh, and actually, that could fill up the non-participatory hours really, really quickly. Absolutely. But if people tweet along, join in on Facebook, you know, have the conversations about the stuff that we're talking about on these episodes, mm. then mm. It, it ticks the box for participatory CPD as well. So, uh, Absolutely. You know, it's, Listen it's on the podcast and you can get your steps in at the same time. <laughs> yeah, do, do it while you're mind body it. workout, people. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, and just to, to sort of uh, encourage that, and obviously the the thing that we can benefit from as well is if people leave us really nice reviews about how amazing mm. MHTV is, then Nikki can bung that into her <laughs> patient. Uh, you know, re, the, the the patient related. Not it's not patient related feedback, is it? It's the uh, professional feedback that you need to have for your. Uh, the revalidation so uh yeah do that anybody else who's going through revalidation you have my heart i feel you (laughs) (laughs) we'll get there (laughs) well i know it's only every three years and i know it's reasonable request it's just i need to put my positive face on it and get it done which i'll do by the time i speak to you this time again next week it will be done and filed how about that for a promise Good. Well, you know, if you need any help with it, Nikki, I'm here. I love to help people with their revalidation because it is Don't something worry. that I actually quite enjoy. So, you know, shame nerd. on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't had any questions tonight, but um, thank you very much, guys. I can see some people are still watching, despite the fact that our, we have no guests tonight. So thank you very much for that. It's much appreciated. Um, if you yeah. do want to get involved or suggest... Um, future guests or topics or anything like that, please just let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and that's, that's it from me. Say good night, Dave. Brilliant. Yeah, good night from me too. So have a good one, everyone. And hopefully see you next week when we'll be discussing suicide prevention in later to life with Professor Trish Hafford-Letchfield. And I'm sure if we manage to get her onto the Zoom call, it will be amazing. So uh, see you all then. Take care.